Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 210. Today's big Bible question, does the Bible teach that guardian angels are real? So hello again, friends. Happy Saturday to you. Today, we're talking about angels, specifically guardian angels. Now, it's a topic, guardian angels, that is, that I can't believe we've never covered on the show before, but a handy-dandy search of BibleReadingPodcast.com, where I put all my show notes, says we haven't. So don't spoil it for me if the site is wrong. Angels are fascinating beings, right? I've never personally seen an angel, at least never one that I was aware of, but I did happen to enter a Target in Anaheim a mere 10 minutes after Mike Trout and Chuck Finley had just been there, so there's that. Hashtag dad jokes. Anyway, I really have not ever seen an angel, the baseball kind or the heavenly kind, but I have actually heard some stories from many friends and pastors over the years, and some of whom were... Uh, maybe a little out there, most of whom weren't, who do claim to have seen angels. One time, a couple of friends and I even dressed up as angels, thank you old school choir robes, and convinced people that we were supernatural beings. Now, at the time, I was a young youth minister in my early 20s, and the church made a horrific mistake by giving me a most valuable treasure, a church key. This enabled our merry band of faux angels to appear and disappear all around the church building late one night to the great mystification of many young adults and college students that were returning from an event. One of them even pulled a gun on us, and it was okay because we escaped through a door. Good times, and I'm glad that impersonating an angel wasn't a crime in Alabama in the 1990s. I guess that's another terrible dad joke. Well, today's Bible readings are Judges chapter 8, Acts chapter 12, Jeremiah chapter 21, and Mark chapter 7. And our focus passage comes from Acts 12, which is a passage that is absolutely chock full of angels. Okay, actually there's uh, one, two. Okay, there's two different real angels in Acts 12 and one hypothetical angel, which is actually still more angels than I've ever seen. So let's read the passage, paying at least a little attention to the church's theory as to who was knocking on Mary, the mother of John Mark's, door. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church fervently prayed to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. And he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, 
where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not even open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the out of the, at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, hmm, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, It's the voice of a god and not a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God spread and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. So that's a great passage, of course, and it raises our big Bible question of the day. Do Christians have guardian angels? Now, it's quite apparent from our passage that the Christians that were gathered at Mary's house praying for Peter certainly did think that, or, you know, at least something related to that theory, because we read in verses 14 and 15 about how the servant girl recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. Now, does that prove Christians have guardian angels? Well, of course not. Think back to our Bible passage just yesterday in Mark 6. In that passage, Jesus is walking on water, and what do they think he is? They don't look at this guy coming at them, walking on the water in the midst of a storm, and say, oh, hey, it's Jesus. He's walking out on top of the water to say hello to us. No, Mark 6, 48 and 50 through 50 says this, Jesus saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came towards them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke with them and said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So the disciples, at least uh, to a degree, believed in ghosts. Now, there were other times, not just this one, including after the resurrection of Jesus, that they mistook him for a ghost. And astonishingly, this has surprised me for years now, we have no script record in the word of God that Jesus ever corrects them and says something like, guys, how many times do I have to tell you there's no such thing as ghosts? Quit saying that. It's me. If somebody appears, suddenly it's me. So, why does this, what does that fact tell us about ghosts? Well, practically nothing really beyond the fact that the disciples actually did seem to believe in ghosts, or at least they believed in ghosts when confronted by a figure walking on the water and a figure materializing suddenly inside a locked room that there was no way for that person to get into except by supernatural means. Does that mean that ghosts exist? 
Well, of course not. It doesn't mean that. The Bible simply doesn't address that question. So whatever your view on ghost is or not, you can't really prove it from a direct quote from Scripture. Similarly, our Acts passage today doesn't answer the guardian angel question either, but it does indicate that a good portion of the existing church at that time believed in something like guardian angels. And let me pause just for a moment there. I don't really believe in ghosts either, although as we've read, 1 Samuel 28, uh, actually we haven't read that yet. We will be reading in that. I believe 1 Samuel 28 really is Samuel brought back from the dead somehow, some way by the witch of Endor. That's how the Bible describes it. We'll talk about that a little more one day. But I don't believe post-resurrection there's really any way for people who have died to come back as apparitions. Uh, but, you know, the disciples apparently believed something along those lines and Jesus didn't correct them. So anyway, file that away as an interesting thing. We're not talking about ghosts today. We're talking about angels. Quit getting distracted. So that passage we read in Acts is not the only passage, though, to discuss the possibility of guardian angels. And there is some slight more bit of evidence that God may indeed assign at least some angels to guard some people. Our friend Sam Storms points us to Matthew 18 as a teaching of Jesus that might indicate the existence of guardian angels, at least for children. And Storms writes, In Matthew 18, Jesus warns against the neglect of little children and reminds his disciples that, quote, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, quote. An ancient custom prevailed in Eastern court settings, according to which those who stood before their king or were allowed to see his face were officers who enjoyed the king's special favor and were privileged to enjoy the closest possible fellowship. The implication, says Storms, may be that the highest-ranking angels are assigned and commissioned by God to watch over with loving care his little ones. Thus, Jesus is saying, don't despise my little ones, for they are so highly regarded that God has appointed his most illustrious angels to keep watch over them. Their constant presence before him may be so that they can quickly respond to whatever tasks God may assign them in their ministry to us. So how can we conclude this question? Do guardian angels actually exist? Do you have one? Do I? Oh, there's one right now behind you. Okay, just kidding. I think the Bible does not give us quite enough information to be definitive on this question, but I do think it's a definite maybe. (laughs) Most Protestants I know would completely dismiss the possibility, and most Catholics would embrace it. I actually have to think the evidence here slightly favors the Catholic side, or the positive guardian angel side, at least in this instance, as we see a slight amount of pro-guardian angel evidence in the Word of God, and I've never read anything I've found in the Bible that refutes the possibility. At the very least, just in case, you should keep your guest room or couch clean and suitable for visitors, because Hebrews 13.2 reminds us to not Forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Well, let's keep reading in the Word of God and return to the adventures of Gideon in Judges chapter 8, verse 1. The men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us, not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites? 
and they argued with him violently. So he said to them, What have I done now compared to you? It's not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abizer. God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? When he said this, their anger against him subsided. Gideon and the three hundred men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted, but still in pursuit. He said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give us some loaves of bread to the troops under my command, because they are exhausted. I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the princes of Sukkoth asked, Are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hands that we should give bread to your army? Gideon replied, Well... When the Lord has handed Zeba and Zalmunna over to me, I will teach or tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. He went from there to Penuel and asked the same thing from them. The men of Penuel answered just as the men of Sukkoth had answered. He also told the men of Penuel, When I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and with them was their army of about 15,000 men, who were all those left of the entire army of the people of the east. Those who had been killed were 120,000 armed men. Gideon traveled on the caravan route east of Nobah and Jagbaha and attacked their army while the army felt secure. Zeba and Zalmunna fled and he pursued them. He captured these two kings of Midian and routed the entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Harris. He captured a youth from the men of Sukkoth and interrogated him. The youth wrote down for him the names of the 77 leaders and elders of Sukkoth. Then he went to the men of Sukkoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmunna. You taunted me about them, saying, Are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your power that we should give bread to your exhausted men? So he took the elders of the city, and he took some thorns and briars from the wilderness, ouch, and he disciplined the men of Sukkoth with them. He also tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. He asked Zeba and Zalmunna, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? They were like you, they said. Each resembled the son of a king. So he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had let them live, I would not kill you. Then he said to Jether, his firstborn, Get up and kill them. But the youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. Zeba and Zalmunna said, Get up and strike us down yourself, for a man is judged by his strength. So Gideon got up killed Zeba and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Then he said to them, Let me make a request of you. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, We agree to give them. So they spread out a cloak, and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian, and the chains on the necks of their camels. Gideon made an ephod from all of this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. 
The land had peace for 40 years during the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, that is Gideon, son of Joash, went back to live at his house. Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. Then Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by the worshipping the Baals and made Baal Beeroth their god. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, for all the good he had done for Israel. Jeremiah chapter 21 verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent Pasher son of Malchijai and the priest Zephaniah son of Masaiah to Jeremiah saying, Inquire of the Lord on our behalf, since King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is waging war against us. Perhaps the Lord will perform for us something like all his past wondrous works, so that eh, Nebuchadnezzar will withdraw from us. But Jeremiah answered, This is what you were to say to Zedekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I am about to repel the weapons of war in your hands. Those who are using... Those you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the wall, and I will bring them into the center of this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a strong arm, with anger, fury, and intense wrath. I will strike the residents of this city, both people and animals. They will die in a severe plague. Afterward, this is the Lord's declaration, King Zedekiah of Judah, his officers and the people, those in this city who survived the plague, the sword, and the famine— I will hand over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to their enemies, yes, to those who intend to take their lives. He will put them to the sword. He won't spare them or show pity or compassion. But tell this people, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, and plague. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you will live and retain his life like the spoils of war. For I have set my face against this city to bring disaster and not good. This is the Lord's declaration. It will be handed over to the king of Babylon who will burn it. And to the house of the king of Judah say this, Hear the word of the Lord. House of David, this is what the Lord says. Administer justice every morning and rescue the victim of robbery from his oppressor. Or my anger will flare up like fire and burn unquenchably because of your evil deeds. Beware, I am against you. You who sit above the valley, you atop the rocky plateau, this is the Lord's declaration. You who say, who can come down against us? Who can enter our hiding places? I will punish you according to what you have done. This is the Lord's declaration. I will kindle a fire in your forest that will consume everything around it. Mark chapter 7 verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they washed, and there are many other customs they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, 
This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine human commands. Abandoning the command of God, you hold on to human tradition. He also said to them, You have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is korban, that is, an offering devoted to God, you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about this parable, and he said to them, Are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murder, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, pride, slander, and foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a person. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape justice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Praise God for that healing power of Jesus. And Lord, we need your healing power now. Loose it on our state, city, country, and on the world. Lord, protect your body and bless all who are listening today. Good day, friends, and Godspeed.